Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 19 of Storytime for Weirdos. This episode is entitled Night Festival, Part 1. The sun sets on the village of Heimnall. It will only be a few short days before the fiery orb ceases to fully emerge over the horizon for the season. Christiana sits around the fire drinking with her friends. The mix of wine, brandy, and birch tree syrup warms her belly. She watches Hagden across the fire, and he watches her in turn. After a time, she gets up and leaves the common room of the inn. She looks back at her friends around the fire. The common room will be full of people from the south soon, visiting for the night festival. But for now, it's just locals. Hagden makes eye contact with her. She smiles and steps out into the night. Hastily, Hagden says goodbye and follows her. He sees her at the end of the block. Christiana, he calls out, wait for me. She giggles and darts into the warren of buildings in the old town. He calls to her several times as he follows her through the tangle of streets, and she laughs and urges him on. She leads him to a dark, dead-end alley. I found you, he exclaims with a triumphant laugh. Christiana's laugh turns into a gasp, and she points to the sky. Undulating waves of colored lights surge across the firmament. This phenomenon will sustain Heimel for the next three months as nobles, merchants, astronomers, and oracles flock to the town to see it. Tonight, it is just for them. They had seen it every winter of their young lives, but it still takes their breath away. A hand clasps over Christiana's mouth and pulls her into the darkness. She goes silently, her body reacting to the touch with an unnatural calm. When Hagden turns from the lights, Christiana is nowhere to be found. Hours later, in the weak morning light, Paula, Tergurdis, and Tonia steps into the guardhouse. Guardsman Hoffsman is already there. Paula, he says. We got a note from Goodson. He found something in his cellar. It better not be rats again, she replies. Take a look, he says, offering a piece of paper with a barely legible scrawl. She puzzles over the note as she brews some mint tea over the small fire on the hearth. Does this say blood? she asks Hoffsman, sipping her tea. Could be mud, he replies. Goodson was bad at school. Well, she replies, only one way to find out. Goodson's bakery is in the old town, and Paula takes a wrong turn and has to backtrack before arriving. Goodson, she says, nodding at the heavy-set, bearded baker, sweeping the floor of the shop. His wife, Megan, a waifish woman, emerges from behind the counter. She is unusually quiet. The baker nods and beckons Paula out the back of the shop and to a set of cellar stairs accessible from the rear yard. He lights a lantern, and they descend into the cellar. At the foot of the stairs is a small puddle of dark liquid, It is smeared and dribbled in a trail that snakes its way back behind the bags of flour into the darkness. Paula crouches and touches the liquid. It's tacky. 
In the lantern light, it has a red tinge. She holds her finger to her nose and detects a faint copper smell. It's blood, she says, glancing at the baker. He grunts and holds the lantern out towards the smeared trail. Paula casually rests her hand on the pommel of her sword. Relaxed, but vigilant. Lots of things bleed. The trail of blood stops at a stack of barrels. Help me move them, she says to Goodson. He hangs the lantern on a hook in the ceiling. They shift the barrels away from the wall, and a dark shape slithers limply out from the space between them. Bring the light, Paula orders. Goodson fetches the lantern from its hook, revealing a mound of golden curls and a lumpy brown cloak. Paula rolls the body over, revealing the pale, bloodless face of a young woman. A scream fills the cellar, and both Goodson and Paula jump. Paula's sword is half out of its scabbard before she sees Megan Goodson, the baker's wife, at the edge of the lantern light. By the gods, Paula swears, slamming her sword back in its scabbard. Megan, you scared the daylights out of me. It's Christiana Neimdahl, Megan says, breathlessly, as she embraces her husband. It doesn't take long for Paula to track down Christiana's last known location and interview her friends. By noon, Hagdon slumps on a stool in the guardhouse. So, you followed her into an alley and saw the sky fire. And then what happened? Paula asks for the third time. I already told you, he replies, weary and sad. We looked at the lights, and then I looked around. She was gone. So she just disappeared, without a sound, Paula asks, incredulous. Is there a trap door in the middle of the alley? Hagdon groans and holds his head in his hands. Oh yeah, Paula, says Hofson, listening by the fire. That's sharp. There's entrances to the sewer all over the old city. She could have fallen through one of those. Paula snorts in frustration at Hofson, who doesn't appear to notice. Fine, Hagnan, she says, standing up. Why don't you show me this alley? The two make their way to the old town, Hagnan shuffling desolately in front of Paula, who resists the urge to prod him with her sword. At the entrance to the alley where Christiana disappeared, Paula hears a high-pitched voice calling her. Captain Antonia! Captain Antonia! She considers ignoring it, but instead she stops, fixes a neutral frown on her face, and turns. Lord Mayor Parrish, how may I be assistance? She asks, without a hint of the dread that she's feeling. Captain Antonia, huffs the small, portly man. Why is Megan Goodson telling everyone that Christiana Neimdahl was killed by a vampire last night? I would assume because Christiana was found in the Goodson cellar this morning, exsanguinated, Paula replies. Lord Mayor Parrish gulps and goes pale. Ex, exsanguinated, he whines. Yes, Paula replies. It means drained of blood. I know what it means, the Lord Mayor exclaims, growing shrill. What are you doing about it? I'm questioning young Hagdon here, who is the last person to see Christiana alive and examining the scene of her disappearance. Really, Lord Mayor, if I must describe every step of my investigation to you, it is going to delay me significantly, Paula says, hoping he will go away. Captain Antonia, I must remind you that the night festival begins tomorrow, 
We can't have rumors of a vampire in interfering with the ceremony, Parrish says, puffing his chest out and smoothing the ermine fur on, his, on the lapel of his coat. Lord Mayor, Paula replies, we may need to consider postponing the start of the night festival until we can figure this out. Absolutely not, Parrish interrupts her with a squeal. Having large groups of strangers out on the street during continuous night will exacerbate a vampire problem, she continues. No, 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 Parrish nearly hyperventilates the words now. Captain Antonio, we cannot postpone the festival. This town will die without it. You will join me at a town hall tonight at moonrise, and you will lay to rest the silly talk of vampires. I will attend a town hall tonight at moonrise and discuss the progress of my investigation, Paula replies, her voice growing flinty. Am I clear, Lord Mayor? She lays her hand on the pommel of her sword and steps closer, towering over the little man. Fine, Captain, Parrish purrs, his early indignity gone. Report the progress of your investigation. We look forward to hearing it. He turns on his heel and flounces away. Paula watches him go for a moment. She knows he's up to something, but can't dedicate the time and attention to figuring it out and doing something about it. She hates politics. Hagdon stands at the entrance to the alley, eyes wide and his mouth agape. My dad says he's the only noble who wears his own skin on his coat, Hagdon says, as Paula turns to him. Hmm? Why's that? asks Paula, distracted. Ermine. They're weasels. So is he, Hagdon replies. Paula's expressionless facade falls for a fraction of a second. Too fast to call it a smile. You should sow more respect for the Lord Mayor, she says with a hint of warmth betraying the rebuke. The two enter the alley and Hagdon stops. This is where we were, he says, his voice hoarse. Okay, Paula replies. The alley is paved in cobblestone. The fastidious sanitation workers of Heimnall keep even this out-of-the-way byway clean of dirt and debris. Where were you standing? she asks Hagdon. He shifts slightly and turns, gesturing. And Christiana? Paul asks, moving to face him. His face crumples and he chokes out a sob. Hagdon, Paula says softly, putting her hand on his arm. I need you to keep it together. She was so beautiful! And she's dead, he blubbers, leaning to Paula, who embraces the young man awkwardly. Why did she have to die? Hagdon moans into Paula's shoulder between rough sobs. His sob suddenly stops, and he inhales sharply. What's that? he asks, pulling away from Paula. She turns, following his gaze. Behind her, tucked into a nook created by a break in the buildings, the cobblestone paving is interrupted by an iron grate. Paula steps away from Hagdon to get a closer look. The grate is small, but Christiana Nymdal was not very large. She may have fit through the opening it blocked. Paula kneels to inspect it closer. At first glance, there is nothing to indicate that it had been disturbed. Then she sees it, a single strand of blonde hair caught between the edge of the grate and the stone lip. Christiana Nymdal went through this grate into the sewer. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Storytime for Weirdos, a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes posted on the first and third Saturday of every month.